Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello and welcome to HivriaCast, season two, episode two. I am super pumped about this guest who I've been... Uh, trying to have on for so long. And I don't know if it's my fault or her fault. It's definitely your fault. It's, it's my fault? Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm glad. You know, when we spoke earlier, you kind of put it more on yourself, but this is... <laughs> no. I, I was being modest. <laughs> but I, I appreciate that. No, thanks. Sure. Now that we've recorded, we've uh, made it clear it's my fault. Um, but welcome to Hivria Cast, Adina Miles slash... Flatbush girl. Yes. And we agreed we'd call each other. You'd call me Pop Hassid, and I'll call you Flatbush girl. That sounds great. Do you go by like first name is Flatbush, last name girl? Or? <laughs> yes, actually. Yeah, yes. So I should call yeah. you Flatbush. Yeah. Right. Go for it. Call me Pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. This is, uh, this is, I'm actually like so pumped to have you because. Thank you. Uh, I, it's interesting. Like, I, first of all, um, I think obviously it's exciting. Like, I think. I'm always excited when I see people who are doing creative things that people aren't necessarily thinking of as creative only because of the medium or whatever they're, you know. Um, and so, you know, because people think of art as, in a very traditional sense. So like if you're not painting, then you're not an artist. Right. Silly. I definitely hear that. And you are super crazy creative. Thank you it, so much. Yeah. Thank you. I try to live my life as though my life is art, meaning... Mm-hmm. Like my life is my canvas yeah. and I try to wake up every morning with like this tabla rasa and thinking like, what can I do to like make it crazy? Make it, you know, just like ride the wave or like, you know, glide with the wind. Right. And I really just go wherever the wind takes me. And so in that way, my life is like a living art. Wow. Thanks. That was super deep already. That was great. That's interesting. So that's why I think you work so well with social media because social media is like, an, especially uh, Instagram stories, which we'll get to, is like kind of built for someone who's constantly doing crazy things with their life. Kind of, yeah. Right? I think that, you know, when I first got onto the scene of social media, I was kind of, I wanted to like get my marketing company out there and I was right. trying to evaluate, like look at what other people were doing. And I saw that the accounts that were not focusing on their business, but rather focusing on um, being very entertaining and entertaining doesn't necessarily mean humor. Entertaining can just be, you know, something new, something refreshing. Um, were the ones that were really gaining the most traction, interaction, likes, followers, yeah. And I was like, I'm going about this all wrong. Like, I'm thinking about how to put my business on social media, but I should rather be thinking about how to make a spectacle out of myself, kind of recreating like a gladiator <laughs> scene. Like, really? You know, a gladiator scene. Yeah. That's like, pretty people like seeing other people being like knocked down. <laughs> people <laughs> like that. So, kind so, of like amplifying like so the world versus me. So, you're like knocking yourself down in a sense, or you're getting the world. Well, in a way, like I usher in the hate because the hate is the thing that allows me to rise wow. in like popularity. Okay. So, one sec. Before we go on to that, which is fascinating, <laughs> I just want to make sure everyone who's listening, I feel like everyone who's listening will know who you are. Right. But I feel like I'm just going to quickly. Okay, sure. Go for sum it. Up. And you can help me, of course. Right. You are basically, I don't even know how to describe I know that you do these things. You're a marketing person and uh, you're running for city council. Is that right. what it is? And all these things. But everyone kind of knows you, at least most people I know know you as Flatbush Girl, a 
a person on Instagram, and I guess like an Instagram star, right? I would say, yeah, like kind of like an Instagram influencer. Yeah, an influencer right. means, you know, just someone who kind of in, uses their platform to influence. Uh-huh. Um, and I would say that the Flappish Girl character is somewhat controversial because she, myself, but she, yeah. um, you know, kind is uh, is involved in some topics that most people are afraid to go into because they're usually, they usually divide the audience and that's something that people are afraid of doing. Hmm. Um, and that's actually the very thing that sparks conversation and creates, you know, buzz. So, um, so you're strategic about these controversies. I I definitely am strategic about it, but at the same time, I, there's a lot of altruism behind the things that I try to push for. Mm -hmm. Um, I push for things that are, that I'm passionate about. Um, you know, speaking about women's, uh, lack of presentation, representation in printed media within, you know, ultra Orthodox circles and even not ultra Orthodox circles. That was the first time I heard about you. I think it was when. You did that campaign. What was it? The smiley face thing? Uh, yeah, it's that... hashtag from women have faces. It was covered <laughs> in the daily news and, yeah. um, you know, kind of just getting into topics that are a little sticky and controversial, but things that are also have a very, you know, dear place in my heart. Right. So you, it's kind of like you're, you're, I don't know what the right word is, but like built for these things. You just amplify these aspects of your beliefs and your personality, I guess. Yeah, Definitely. It's really, and I also kind of I love this idea of how you referred to Flatbush Girl as her as opposed to me. I I was actually just on a radio show where we were talking about this question, like, are you who you are online? And we were Dafka talking about uh, Instagram uh-huh. and how in general, like, it's I actually think it's really important, especially for those of us who have like, we're not just on there like hanging out, you know, showing family pictures, we're doing something there. Right. I think it's like super important that we understand that that's not who we are, which I think is super healthy that you kind of have Thank that. you. I think to compartmentalize it is very important, yes, to your emotional health. I also think it's important to, um, it allows one to filter through negativity that comes through, but mm. also positivity, meaning nice. I think that one should filter out both. I think that there's danger in allowing the negative comments to come through and the positive ones because it can contribute to like an inflated sense of ego and self and narcissism and becoming a megalomaniac. <laughs> and I think that in order to maintain a healthy dose of, you know, not modesty, but more like humbleness yeah. that we need to compartmentalize who our online personas are yeah. and not allow the hate or the applause to really have too much of an effect on our under, on our sense of self. Oh man, I totally, I totally feel that. Yeah. This, <laughs> that's great. I wish I had a video right now of your face. That was really cool. But anyway, but uh, I think that's actually something I kind of, I think I learned the hard way because I, when I started as a writer and a blogger and blah, 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 like I, it was very hard for me, the negative comments. And I kind of sought refuge in the positive comments. And I was, but the problem is when you do that, besides the very like good reasons that you stated, I think also for me, it was like used to what happens when you do that then is that you're completely dependent yes. on the reaction, which is super Definitely. problematic. Definitely. I, I just think also the more you allow um, like the porousness of being receptive to the positive 
um, response, there's no way to maintain like to maintain a less porous filter for the negativity. They kind of go hand in hand. So I think that the more you just stay tunnel vision, focused on your own truth, obviously should be receptive to constructive criticism from peers and and mentors. Uh, obviously that has there has to be a healthy balance, but I think that by filtering out both positive and a negative, the extreme versions of both, you can kind of like stay on track. Yeah. So Okay. Do you remember how you told me before we started not to give you any, like now that I could give you yeah. notes now? Yeah, about stuff? sure. Okay, so I'm going to do it right now. Great, cool? love it. Okay, so <laughs> these microphones are super sensitive, so you oh. don't have to speak up or anything if you don't want, unless oh. that's how you naturally speak, which is totally cool. Hmm, but I okay. just wanted to point that out. Okay, thank you for saying that. Yeah, because one time we had this guest, and I won't say who it was, um, who was like yelling the whole time, and I felt uncomfortable <laughs> saying anything. But I feel like some people naturally. I love this. Yeah. yeah, they're like near a microphone. But I want. Like, I I think I'm yeah. going to get more comfortable with my regular indoor voice Ooh, now. Okay. But on condition that you don't take out that part that we just said. Oh, I mean, this is the best part so far. I okay, think, right? great. <laughs> you are totally right about the count. <laughs> okay, I don't even. I have to get back on track. We were talking about yes, feedback, etc. I was actually thinking. I had a question uh, rel- related to what you said earlier. Which was I'm trying to regulate my own voice now. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, which is uh, how do you do that? Like I, I feel like it's easier for me to do that because most of my stuff is not video. It's writing. Like I do a piece, I put that out there, and there's kind of a separation, you know. But I feel like you with your stories, your Instagram stories, I don't, I will never understand that stuff. I try to, which is weird because I'm a social media marketer. I shouldn't even say this publicly, but like, I just don't, I don't get them on a personal level. You know what I'm saying? And I wonder how you don't let that become part of your, such a part of your life. If, you know, like we were, I was talking with you earlier is how I see like all these updates from you. So that's like interwoven into your daily life, you know? Right. So how do you how do you hold on to that like separation of identity? That's an excellent question. I mean, it's definitely thought provoking for me to like step back and try to deconstruct it because I don't often. The, <laughs> no, I'm not sitting close enough. <laughs> I definitely don't. I, I don't really deconstruct it yeah. enough. Um, so I'm like excited about the idea of like just on the fly trying to deconstruct it. Nice. Um, I do want to say that. I think in the effort, I think that my for me, I understand that there's a certain level of sacrifice that needs to go into into ensuring that my messages resonate and that my messages go out there. Um, and that I'm able to also, while doing so, possibly convert some of that, like those eyeballs into sales, like into people who reach out and ask me like if my marketing company could work on something for them or whatever. Um, and that sacrifice comes along with occasionally it being very damaging to my sense of self. Occasionally, mm-hmm. yes, like thinking too much about the negative comments, hyper-focusing on them too much, and sometimes allowing the like the people who are supporting me so loudly to go to my head. Um, there's definitely moments in which I do, I, I falter, um, but I really just... I like questions like this that come from people like you help me really take a step back and mm-hmm. remind, and it helps me remind myself how important it is to really, um, to really compartmentalize. And, and when I say sacrifice, what I mean by that is 
I I do I do slip up in allowing it to crisscross. Right. Um, but I do that, but that is, that's just the, uh, damage, um, that I'm willing to accept for my messages to resonate when it comes to trying to empower girls and when it comes to trying to make a living. Wow. That's so interesting. I love how, I mean, it's, it's very interesting because you're very, it sounds like you have like a very, um, focused, healthy mind when it comes to like kind of understanding what you're doing it for, as opposed to like, I think a lot of people when they do, like I know this as a marketer and as an artist, a lot of people are kind of just like, how many views did I get? You know, how many, right. how many, how much attention did I get? Whereas you're, I mean, not that you're not trying to do that, but you kind of have like deeper goals in mind, whether it's, you know, these sales, which is right. like a marketing thing, or, you know, the effect that you have on others, which right. I think is really cool. But I was, I was, I was also going to mention that I think that's, that's interesting about social media because I think, we can talk all day about this like separation, but they're kind of built to make us feel like it's us. And I think that's really hard, especially, you know, it's, it's easier said than done basically, which I think yeah. is interesting. I think that the world of technology and social media is, is really altering the way our brains work. Yeah. Like from a neurological perspective, I think that, you know, even from a chemical perspective, like there's so many research studies being put out about, dopamine and the positive reinforcement that's coming out from likes and views and comments and all those things. And I think that we're really on the brink of evolving as a, as a, as a, as people like almost to become a little more like programmed, a little bit more robot, a little bit more, right? Like, This has been a topic a lot recently on here. I, like I spoke with Leia Gottfried last time and we were just, we had like this whole, we were just like dystopian talking about social media because I think anyone, I think her also, she's kind of also in that world of social media. You know, you know who yeah. she is, right? She's um, the, the one behind that. Soon by you. Yeah, soon right, by right. you. Yeah. So it's just, um, I totally agree. And I think it's a little disturbing. I had this thought recently and I kind of, I want to write about it at some point, but like this idea that. You know, we're, we've been so worried about being ruled by AI, you know, like there are all these movies about it and everything for ages, but we are like at that point we're now. We're there, we're there. <laughs> yeah. I actually think that this will be the point in time where we look back <clears throat> and are nostalgic for when it was still possible to compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. And I think that as technology advances and the more people become unhappy and dissatisfied with their own lives because of what they see on social media, yeah. I really think like VR and augmented reality could really possibly take over and it will just be preferable to plug yourself into some sort of alternate reality where hmm. you know you can purchase the body that you have mm-hmm. to look like your ideal body or purchase yeah. facial features that you always wanted and live in that life style and i think that we will look back and be and and regret demonizing where we are right now which is yes kids are on snapchat yes kids are on their phones but they're still their phone is in is in their hand they're not actually in the universe that's fake and i just wonder like i i wonder if we could appreciate what we have now so that we could extenuate this time and not demonize it because I think the more we fight it and the more we demonize it, the more like it just becomes like a like it just becomes inevitable. It becomes a vicious mm-hmm. cycle and things like that. That's interesting. So you're like 
things are sucky, but they could be much worse. Yes. So like, let's appreciate what we have. That's actually really interesting. Cause right, my, like my we're meeting yeah. in real life. Like I'm not it's plugged true. into it's my true. headset. It's true. We're not connecting virtually. We're here. I didn't buy this body. Right. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> you <But> sure? Also, <laughs> I, trust me. I would have gotten a better body. <laughs> but uh, so <laughs> I think like, yeah, that's actually really fascinating. I think actually that's part of the I, I mentioned this last time. I think that's part of the reason people like me at least are m- migrating to podcasts, for example, um, because I think that that's like, yeah, we can have real discussions, like a real people talking and, 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 and interacting. And it's fascinating to me, like podcasts have grown slowly compared to Instagram and stuff, but they've grown steadily. I think because people are slowly being like, I miss that human connection, that human, like I'm always amazed that even one person listens to this podcast, you know, because why, why would you sit for an hour listening to people talk, you know? Right. I mean, this time we have Flatbush Girls, so of course. But like, but in general, like I don't get it, you know? Right. But I think it actually makes sense when you look at it from that, from that angle. Like right. there are more humanizing ways to do it. I hear that. It could yeah. also be that people need a lot of stimuli these days. And so right. maybe right now while they're listening, they're doing 10 other things. <laughs> and maybe every so, third word is going in. Oh my gosh, you're right. Right. Should call them out. Say, hey, <laughs> stop that. Do you think they heard me? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> they might have missed, missed that, that one. one. <laughs> you're <laughs> See right. it three more times. They'll probably hear it by the third one. That's true. We should have like a service announcement every 10 seconds. This is your uh, friendly reminder <laughs> to be as present as possible in your life <laughs> and stop overstimulating your senses. You don't wow. know to be, you don't need to be bombarded in order to live. <laughs> wow, that was really good. I like that. <laughs> It's so interesting because I feel like people like us, it's one of the things I find fascinating is that um, like people that work at Google and Facebook and stuff are known for not like really limiting their kids' connection to phones and stuff. Not limiting? No, too limiting. Oh, yes, too limiting. Too limiting them. And I think it's ironic because we and just like them kind of depend on these technologies for our success. Right. But at the same time, we're like, because we depend on it, we kind of understand a lot of the... Yeah. Messed up stuff with it. I think it's almost like sugar. Like when sugar, refined sugar came out, like people did not know that they needed like a fluoride for their teeth and they needed to, you know, brush away the sugar and that it led to tooth decay. Hmm. And I think that we're also in that period of time where it's just, you know, it's uh, people are just, they're not censoring their time. They're not limiting their time. I mean, it's incredible. Apple actually just came out with screen time. I love it. But I don't know if you use it the way I use it. I use it in child mode. And and I have someone else who has the password. I literally just did that, actually. You switched it to child mode? I I changed it so I can't download apps, um, like new apps, because I get addicted to video games. Oh, okay. So I had my wife put in a passcode. And now I like... Have to go to her and yesterday, literally, or no, two days ago, I had like a bad day, and I was like, "Got to play video game." And I went to my wife and I was like, "Can you please put in the passcode?" And she was like, "Are you sure?" And <laughs> I it was, love it. it was, yeah, it was I interesting because it, it was it. like that one sweet, yeah. like, uh, "Are you right. sure about that?" I was like, "Oh God, okay, no." Right, exactly. And it was probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, continue. so I have it on yeah. my phone. My like everything deactivates at like 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. And I can't do anything. Like my phone, I can't do anything. I can't text. I can't check my email. Really? I can't check anything. Wow. And it doesn't turn back on until like 8.30 in the morning. And 
Um, I used to even use like a different app to do this. It was called Kids Lock. So I've been doing this for years. Obviously, there have been times in my life where I kind of had to go off it for a certain like while I was running my political campaign and things like that, which mm. you said that I'm still running, but bad news is I lost. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I'm not keeping That's up fine. on Instagram That's stories. <laughs> I should just have well. told you I won, right? Yeah, totally. I won, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, it's luckily people didn't listen before, yes. so they heard the winning. Exactly. Wow. Right. This is the third thing they're listening exactly. to, so they think I won. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I, we have to talk about that at some yes. point, right? Yeah. Should we just do it now? Yeah, let's do it now. I mean, let's, let's move on to social media, Yeah, whatever. let's talk about, let's let's talk about th- politics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's another subject people love to hear about and really uplifts them. Yes. Um, tell me all about what happened. First of all, I guess we should set it up, right? You ran for city council, and no, I would no, like to district leader. District leader. Okay. I would like to know why on earth you would do that. That's my question because I don't get it. So remember how I said that I live my life kind of like every day is a tabula rasa. Right. Okay. So, that so was, I got this call from yeah. someone who I'd never met out of the blue. His name was Heshi Tischler. He mm. got my number from Jewish? Leah Forrester. <laughs> you know what? He's actually not. I'm joking. He <laughs> that would have blown my mind. <laughs> <laughs> He got my number from Leah Forrester, and like when I first heard from him, I was like, "Why the heck is Leah giving out my number for free?" Yeah. <laughs> like, just like stop. But in the end, um, it really was actually a life changing phone call because he's like, "I'm running for district leader, and can you help me with my marketing?" And I'm like, "What is district leader?" Mm. Uh, I really had. I was like every other ditz who had no idea what the first thing about politics was. Like, I'm really serious. I didn't, I I really, on a fundamental level, didn't even understand the difference between like Democrat and Republican, like Mm -hmm. really knew nothing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, you could run for female district leader. I'm like, okay, let's do this. (laughs) Cool. So it was literally like, uh, like on the spur of the moment decision, I'll regalajas and Wait, so uh, there's a, a female district leader? Yes. There needs to be one female and one male in each district. Really? Yes. That's interesting. Okay. So you're you're running for female. And you just did it because he said... He's like, you want to do it? I'm like, okay. Wow. Okay. So just because he said that, right, basically? And then what happened from there? Um, What happened from there is that I basically devoted four months of my life to trying to win this position. uh, And I encountered a tremendous amount. I thought it would be easy because no one even knew the name of the incumbent. Right. No one had ever heard of her name. I asked around. I asked people, do you know who your female district leader is? No one had any clue. Right. And I understood that it was because it's really a volunteer unpaid position. And your level of involvement depends on how devoted you are to the cause, which apparently if no one knew what her name was, means she wasn't that devoted. Mm. So I thought it would be like an easy win. Right. Um, I think I made too much of like a ruckus on social media about it. I remember that. That was fun. <laughs> It was fun to watch. And I kind of <laughs> scared the living daylights out of all the male uh, elected officials in my district. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, so it was the male. That's interesting because I remember there being a backlash from her. Like she really oh, no, she went had, after you? No, not at all. Oh, that wasn't her that did that? They used the, her as like the cover, meaning no she was way. probably at home eating popcorn <laughs> for the whole four months of the campaign. I didn't even think she knew she was on the ballot. I just had like an image of a woman just sitting in her home eating yeah, popcorn. Literally. That like, was literally what was going on. She's down. just she is she's she's out to lunch. It's fine. I mean yeah. she and, just And so okay, so there was this group of men that didn't mm-hmm. want you uh like running or whatever. Or right. Uh they basically uh used all their resources within the from community to make sure the messages got out there to vote for my opponent. Were they are these from men? Yeah, of course. 
I only oh. scare from men because they're very afraid of a strong female voice. <laughs> And they're scared of what it would look like for them if there was another elected official yeah. that had access to 40,000 followers on Instagram yeah. and thereby they would have to have more accountability. Wow. Right? Like I'm not afraid of using my Insta story and putting it in their face and saying, you promised us this. Why didn't you deliver? Wow. And I think that that was their way of maintaining control over the narrative. They didn't want, they didn't want an outsider so what is like a volunteer, like why would they care if it's like a volunteer position, because right? What do, they, what do they get out of keep, like what, what, what's the thing that they don't want to be held accountable for? Whatever it is that they're um, being politically um, unjust about or whatever it is they're not upholding, whatever promises they're not upholding, whatever transparency they're trying to I guess my, avoid. Qu- my question is like, are they, is it like, it's a volunteer position, right. and yet it sounds like there's some sort of, like they're really invested in well, holding because, on to power of some sort. Right, because I think I had this following. Uh-huh. I was kind. I was like in. I was registering hundreds of eighteen-year-olds to vote. <laughs> I was just making a big ruckus, and yeah. I think that there would, the the noise was very scary for them. Mm. Um, you know, I've met. I met with a few of them one on one and asked them if. Not if they would endorse me, but if they would just, you know, kind of be behind the scenes and maybe mentor me. And they were just very, like, frigid, cold, and af- and it really seemed very fearful, wow. honestly. Um, and I think that the proof of that is there were, um, like, four people stationed at every poll site on Election Day yeah. uh, giving out literature for my opponent. And they were hired by a by a third party that does this kind of campaigning on election day. And if you look at my opponent's um, funds that she's raised on, like if you look Mm -hmm. at the board of elections, she's reported zero fundraising, Hmm. zero. So there's other people who are invested in making sure that she wins. Um, I know that, I know that, I mean, I know the people who were involved in that and that's okay. I understand, but um, I stayed true to the, I, I almost realized that I, it would be very hard for me to win, especially when I'll, I met a lot of people. I said, well, you vote for me. Like, I wish I could vote for you, but my rabbi told me not to. Really? Yeah, definitely. It was all over the, the rabbi. Nis- yeah. The shuls were, the shul lists were all emailed to vote for my opponent. Really? No one ever heard her name before I came into the picture. Wow. That's so crazy. It's- I didn't realize it was, it was that. I thought it was just like a. Ran, like a random political opponent who was no. really invested in oh, totally not. so this was like a communal effort yes. to yeah definitely wow. and you know I'm I'm flattered by it I'm <laughs> flattered by it because that means that means I'm that means I'm onto something and that means that yeah. you know when there's a resistance that means there's something they're trying to resist yeah and I think that the progressiveness of my voice is scary for them and right. scary for the community. Um, that's fine. I understand. Um, and if you want us and for, and then for those who are listening, who think that maybe I'm just being a sore loser about it and not chalking it up to, you know, actually just losing no problem. So if I could have that perspective as well, I lost fair and square. Yeah. Um, but I think that if you were to look a little more closely as to her investment of time, her presence in the community, anyone knowing who she was before I came into the picture, I think you would question that. 
I mean, just the story of how rabbis were sending emails. That's oh, pretty... yeah. I can forward you all the shul lists that got emails about voting for my opponent and hmm. um, the ads that were taken out, full-page ads that were taken out in newspapers for voting yeah. for my opponent. Really? Yeah, endorsed by all the male elected officials. Um, that's okay. I still was wow. able to win um, something called county committee. So I represent a few electoral districts on county committee, and this... Um, enables me to still stay part of the picture and still meet these elected officials once in a while and and kind of remind them like yeah you might have won that time but you're not gonna win you're not gonna always win. Is this, do you want to like keep going? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> really? Yeah, That's they've so enraged crazy. me. Wow. <laughs> I would. You know what? <laughs> they should have just let me get that that volunteer position. Right. I would have just would have gotten right. out of my system. Okay. <laughs> But now I'm angry, you know? Wow. Now I'm like, okay, I need the next big thing. <laughs> yeah, you got to find out what the elected position is that's like above them. That's you know what exactly I'm what I'm doing. Oh, yeah? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this is, I, I'm like fascinated. This is so fascinating. Um, wow. I think what's interesting was that at first when I was listening to you explain it, I was like, okay, they have some sort of political power they're trying to hold on to. But it sounds also to me like it's kind of more of a visceral response to, like you said, you being this, like, really a strong female uh, voice who has created a lot of waves and them just whatever, like, I almost imagine that that's, like, enough. It doesn't even have to have any threat directly to their power, just more that you getting to that place itself, even if you'd never conflicted with them afterwards, is like a symbolic exactly. fear. I exactly. Think. That's exactly what it is. Wow. Yeah. That's really messed up. Yeah. But I'm honored but. and privileged to have been on the receiving end of such <laughs> misogyny. <clears throat> oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Because it taught you a lot or? Uh, because it helps me have empathy for the women who came before me and encountered such obstacles. Wow. Um, even within, you know, even like Sarah Schneer, even, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's she, that, Sarah Schneer. She is oh. the founder of the Basiakov system. Oh, like she encountered so much backlash trying mm-hmm. to advocate for women learning, you know, opening up a safer, yeah. learning how to daven. Right. And I think that. It just it just helps me connect with the women before me who've really been troopers, you know, not right. only within religious circles, but even, you know, Harriet Tubman, you know, just these other names and 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 just like, you know, just stay true to the cause. Wow. That's so cool. I love how you embrace like this um controversy. Not not in a way that is just like for the sake of it, but it's like it seems like you really learn something from it like you really gain something from it and also then it seems to fuel you further which is yeah very cool maybe i even purposely put myself in situations that i know i have no chance at just so i could be knocked down and feel that like thick skin growing that's really interesting because at first when you said that earlier i was like all right that's like a cool strategic marketing thing right but but i also think what you're showing is how it's actually you're just giving yourself as an example yes. of what happens to women in those situations. Exactly. I right. kind of like have elected myself as the scapegoat. Yeah. And I'm I, I'm kind of like I very much have come to terms with the fact that a lot of my messages are not going to make sense while I'm alive. 
Mm-hmm. And or maybe while I'm relevant, but maybe more so later. Maybe maybe the daughters or the children. I, I mean, I don't mean to only isolate out females, but maybe the people who are born to the daughters, maybe people who are born to the generation of children who are watching me might understand later what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, when I advocate for having open dialogue with the LGBTQ community, or, you know, I post a picture proudly on my gallery with Abby Stein, um, and and I lose three clients the next day because they don't want to be associated with me. um, I understand that that's not really going to help shape people today, but maybe could be a lesson for people in the future. Are you hot? I'm like really hot in here. I'm okay. You know, I feel hot. You, you know? can. I mean, is there any air to turn on anyway? There is. Oh, I could, okay. I could go right now. Nah, I'm no? let's just sweat I, it out. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> um, all right. So, wow. I, after you said that super inspiring thing, I'm like, oh, are you like, hot right now? Um, <laughs> that that was actually really beautiful. I think, Thank um, you. yeah, I guess I, I have come to like a similar place, I think, because for a while I was really like, and uh, moved by, I guess, like, you know, I became, uh, like, Balchuva through Chabad, and there's, like, a lot of unity talk there, in a, in a good way, like, a lot of, but I think that some of that can become negative, especially when you are starting to talk about things that people are not united around. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's easy to talk about it when it comes to, like, now we've kind of, I think as a community, we've at least accepted, maybe it's going backwards a little bit, but we've started to, at least in the Chabad community, started to accept that, like, sexual abuse happens and is bad. Like, right. Right. That kind of was, like, a big deal. That, You're right. And it took a while for that mm-hmm. to happen. It took, like, a really long time. Right. And now everyone acts like it's been like that all the time, but whatever. Right. But it's interesting how there's so many, obviously, so many other... I mean, your story is like a perfect example of how there's so much more to go. I think there's so much denial about the existence of the LGBTQ community within the Orthodox circles, within from circles. And there's just because there's lack of acceptance that that even exists, because Mm -hmm. of that denial, there's no space for them to exist within within Orthodoxy. And I I don't think that's that's healthy. I don't think that's fair. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, you know, a call Yisrael Arivam and I think that we have to look at anyone with a neshama, anyone with a, a, a Jewish soul, uh, like equally, and all humans equally. And to strip people of that because of their orientation, I think is is a complete abuse of abuse of power. Mm. It is interesting. I do feel like. There is, it does seem like it's almost talked about, like, there's no, like, when when I hear discussions about uh, gay Jews and uh, queer Jews, like, it tends to sound, like, be worded in a way of, like, those are the, they exist in the secular world. Like, not, they don't exist in the Orthodox world, really. It's terrible. Yeah. It's really interesting. I never really thought about it that way. But that's really fascinating. Um, and I just think Sad. that, I, I mean, it's just sad that they're becoming like marginalized and, and feeling so scared. And I think that there's a lot of physical violence that mm. even gets perpetuated towards those groups. And for us not to band together to protect them and make them feel safe yeah. and protect them as humans. Um, the fact that I even have to say them is so, is so gross. Like why do I have to say them? It's us, it's we. And, 
Um, I think that people are not understanding the long-term damage that's happening to the generations after. Uh, and then, yeah, that's really it. Wow. Do you know that the number one reason people leave their religion in general is because of, uh, like, because of the positions of these religions regarding gay people? Really? It's the number one reason. You'd really? Think, yeah, you'd think it'd be like not believing in God. Right. <laughs> but like, uh, but no, it's like how, and I think to me, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot, especially as someone who, uh, you know, has made a lot of queer friends who live, who were once in the Orthodox community, are in the Orthodox community, like, and I think the reason for that is that it's it's one thing to theoretically like disagree with the religion. It's another thing to see people getting actively hurt by yes. religion. You know, that's yeah. like completely different. And I think that most people, anyone who's tuned into this, I like the humanity of of uh, of gay people. It's it's. Almost, it's it's extremely disheartening to right. see that suffering. Yeah. There. And I think like, that, I mean, I hope one day there will be more active Orthodox voices commenting and accepting and acknowledging, like, the rejecting the gender binary, recognizing <clears throat> that sexuality is fluid, um, that gender identity, you know, can that one can take ownership of their gender identity. And I think that um, until we have more orthodox voices that fit more of the heterosexual norm, yeah. because I feel like those are the people we need to speak out about it, because those are the people who can communicate um, um, with the audience members who are so like on the on the fence about it. Um, it's almost like I say, like the best voices that can come out in support of From Women Have Faces, meaning the inclusion of female faces within um, Jewish publications, are the men. Right. Like we don't need women. I mean, we do need women, but mm -hmm. it would be so much more powerful if rabbis, if male rabbis would get up there and say, this is a perversion of Torah. We are not a, a nation that wears veils, mm -hmm. and there's no reason why neck-up photos should be should be not allowed in printed imprinted newspapers. Right. Um, and it's that same way. I feel like when we talk about the LGBTQ community, it's so much more powerful when these statements come from people are in more traditional hetero relationships being the ones to speak out about it. Because we, it's almost like it's, I feel like it's my job to protect them. Yeah. You know what I find to be difficult? I was just thinking about this as someone who's been trying to speak about this and other subjects. Like, I think that one of the things that I find difficult, and I feel like this is part of what holds people back, is that it feels to me like when you start to take a stand, especially about specific subjects that are like so taboo, right? Mm -hmm. So rejected mm -hmm. and all these things, I uh, find that you start, you almost like, it becomes this thing where there's like the self-fulfilling prophecy where they now see you as out out there like you're not like maybe you call yourself orthodox but they don't see you as orthodox right. i don't know i'm not trying to right, say this right, about I you get it. I get but it. i i've gotten that experience right. and like like and i don't mean that people no one's like i mean i've had it a few times where people are like you're not really orthodox like they put it in quotation marks and right. blah, blah 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 but like in general it's more of a the way they speak to me almost like i'm other yeah other exactly oh well done <laughs> yeah you know so much better than me i'm sure but like i find it fascinating because i think it's kind of this defense mechanism that stops that that 
thinking, and I find that to be difficult. And I, and I, I don't know if that's an... It's, it stops the internalization of your message because right. it's like, this is other, so uh, let me compartmentalize the message. Right, exactly. And that's difficult, I think. Because, oh, it's definitely difficult. Yeah. But I think that if one has the support system in place right. and the self and the fortitude of self to do it, I think that to be a servant to our to our nation in that way is is like the biggest privilege and honor that we can have. Like I'm so grateful to have parents that rally behind me and uh and uh, my husband, my partner to do that for me and you know, um I'm not going to say I have a close network of friends. I probably I don't really have that many friends. Many have kind mm -hmm. of not understood what who I am. They've classified me as other and so they've kind of like mm -hmm jump chip and that's okay because my family is really the most important and to have the support system I have, I just feel is like I, I utilize that strength to take positions that are controversial and that are taboo, like you said, um, because I could handle the criticism that comes to me because yeah. like I just, I, I can handle it. Yeah, we uh, started this website called Neshamas. Have you heard of that? No. So Neshamas is like a site. We started to get a bunch of pieces about abuse on Hivria. Like there was this period where we, we published like a few. And because of that, people are like, oh, this is a site where we can <laughs> publish this. And we just got a, like a deluge of, of email, of, wow. of pieces getting submitted. And they weren't all like the kind of quality we put up and all these things. And we were just like, but these stories are all essential, right? And... So we started this site called Neshamas, which is a site just for anonymous Jewish writing. We don't screen anything. Anything can get published. And why am I saying this? Oh, yeah, because like shortly after we published this, we had a piece by a woman who hated going to the mikvah, hated it so much that she stopped going to it and was like essentially kind of arguing against it and whatever. And she's, she's still orthodox. She, like the point is that she's in the closet. Like she's orthodox. She keeps halacha. Mm -hmm. This one thing she is like, just doesn't believe in and, and all these things just too hard for her did you see then, my recent post on instagram because it's no. like so perfectly timed what you're saying no i didn't see i no. actually just did a post it oh. has more than fifty-three thousand views already wow. um talking about the need for women to be accepting of other women who have some qualms about their mikvah experiences yeah. Yeah. um so that there's a safer just safer space amongst friends amongst females to speak about it yeah. because if it's not okay to talk about like certain inhibitions you might have about your experience or certain resentments you have, then we're basically the ones who are the ones who do feel so positive about their their mikvah experiences are not able to empower the ones who who don't feel that way because it's not safe for them to talk yeah. and kind of just trying to make space for this conversation. And I can't even tell you, I got so much hate. Right. I got so much hate for the fact that I was trying to make a safe space about a topic that's supposed to be intimate, that's supposed to be private between husband and wife, yeah. and that I was kind of um, like exploiting it somehow. And really, my only intention is to is to even bring back one person from feeling resentful to being able to be empowered by someone else who doesn't feel that way so that she could come back to celebrating that mitzvah in a way that feels right to her. Yeah. Um, and it's incredible to see the amount of, of like stubbornness and closed-mindedness from people who, who are just purely in denial of the fact that since going to the mikvah is so private, there are so many people, so many women who've been turned off 
and are not really keeping it. Yeah. That's really fascinating. I mean, and, and I think that was what was really, there was like two kind of fascinating things that happened with that story for me, which is, it sounds like a very parallel experience because first of all, there was like a lot of women who were anonymously commenting and saying how much they resonated with the piece. Of and course, then, anonymously, yeah. Yeah, and then there was a huge backlash, humongous. It was one of the biggest backlashes I've experienced. And what was interesting in that regard was this was like, um, because it was anonymous and because we had just launched, I got, I got all the heat for that because you know what I'm saying? And I was like, right. and I actually loved it because it was the first time I really loved getting heat. Like, because I knew that there was this person that could not, like it wouldn't, so the reason she did anonymously is because the heat, it's too hot for her. Right. Like it's too much right. for her to expose herself like right. that. Oh my gosh. Like it's such a personal yes. thing that she shared. And so I get to get all the hate. And what I love about that is it's like I feel like you had kind of how you described where you're like, I can take this. Right. So bring it on. Exactly. And then other people can get it. heard that way. Right. And like, And it was just I remember having it was <laughs> it kind of sounds silly, but it was the first time I kind of had fun with it because I was just like, right. I think it was also because usually I get heat for things I write. And right. this was like, oh, someone else wrote right. it. Like, yeah, but I was just defending. I was defending the idea of it being out there because people didn't even want it. The reason they were angry at me was that they didn't even want it out. Like they don't they, even want it spoken exactly. about because they think yeah. that it will maybe trigger another woman yeah. to have more self-awareness about her resentments. Yeah. What they don't understand is that much more women will actually feel empowered by the fact that they can commiserate with someone else yeah. and through that camaraderie possibly actually reconnect to this very special tra- like tradition that does that 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 does identify us as part of the tribe right. you know um and it's like imagine imagine like a someone is sick right, right. and someone tells them like, don't talk about it because then you won't be sick. Like, right. if you don't talk about it, then we won't know that you're sick and thus you won't right. be sick. Yeah. And then that person is suffering yes. constantly. That's like what the Jewish people are like when we don't talk about these subjects. Right. You know? We just sweep it under the rug. Yeah. And then we're just getting more sick. Yes. Know? The festering of the of, of bottling it up. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, I think I think these these topics, like these but you know if you if you deconstruct these issues that plague our mm. our our community you and if you really deconstruct it it's lgbtq sexual abuse mikvah the t- you know women's faces all of this really when you boil it down is really just the fear of of being comfortable with with sex I think it all comes down to that. I think mikvah, really? yeah, I think people wow. are sensitive about mikvah because all they do is think of sex. Mm-hmm. I think people are co- uncomfortable about sexual abuse because sex. LGBTQ, they think sex. They just, they don't think, oh, they don't think about um, uh, two people of the same gender bonding in, in an emotional way. They just go straight to their gut, or their, their gut reaction. And I think that in general, there's a huge need in the more orthodox circles, base Yaakov's and yeshivas, for having more sex ed, because the less you, the less you, the more transparency there is and the more healthy education there is and transparency and the more people, students feel comfortable approaching mentors and family members with questions or, or whatever it is, um, I think this paves the way to healthier sexual identity for ourselves. And then we can give that same empathy to the other person. 
<laughs> I uh, actually just reminded me of like this crazy thing that happened last week. I mean, it's not, I don't want to build it up, but it was basically like we have this piece on Nishama, like all this stuff is bring up my Nishama's experiences, but we have this piece on Nishama's called My Husband Raped Me. And self explanatory, <laughs> but basically, um, we got a comment. We're very like intense about the comments there, so we okay. don't allow anything that's like like anything that would be bringing such a person down. Like, because really? the point, yeah, because the person's very like these people are really putting themselves right out I there. We that. don't want them to get hurt. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, they can send us an email or they could share it with an angry comment or whatever they want, but not on the site and not on the, so. The point is that someone wanted to comment, and I actually, I actually thought I almost wanted to use it as a prompt, but I think at least I should share it here. Um, this person, this guy, commented it was right after all the Kavanaugh stuff and everything, and he commented about how his wife, like uh, how he and his wife had had such difficulties uh, with sex to the point where he was, he was, he had read something in this story where she had kind of described how they had had trouble and they weren't really together for like maybe like a, a while and how the this was what led to the to the rape and then this guy said I never did this but I'm very angry because I've gone through these experiences of not being with my wife for a while and I thought so it was interesting because he was kind of it was weird that he commented on that one I felt like he must have been triggered in some way right. but like because it was about rape and he I just, probably was feel like he was probably somewhat empathizing with with the husband exactly which right. i was why we didn't publish that right. one but i actually thought it was fascinating because the i actually emailed him and i asked him have you ever had uh like have you ever gone to like couples counseling have you ever gone to personal therapy have you ever gone to like sex sexual therapy like right. any of these things i didn't get an email back but um <laughs> so far but uh but i think refresh again maybe maybe it just came in yeah, I should check my email right now yeah. and we'll read it out live. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm already like brought this all out. But anyway, the point is uh, I was kind of fascinated by just the idea. Like it, it, it sounded to me like he didn't, right? Which I, I, like I would kind of assume the way yeah. he described it. Exactly. Because it wasn't like he said, we went to therapy, we went right. to this, we tried right. to work it out. It was almost like he was just like, I've been quietly suffering. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about all these discussions is the irony is him being upset at women and him like wanting to comment on this thing mm -hmm. is actually stopping him from thinking proactively about what he could do to help himself and to right. help his wife. Right. Um, instead, he's think it sounds like he's really upset at his wife, which you know, whatever. I think that's worth discussing. But I think what's even more interesting is that it's such a disempowered attitude. And so my point being that. When we don't talk about it, we're hurting everyone. Exactly. You know? yes. This guy's hurting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think then, both both genders suffer immensely when, you know, having healthy attitudes yeah. um towards sex right. does like when that doesn't exist. We we all suffer. Our children suffer, we suffer, and like you said, we can't take proactive measures to to fix things that, that might be broken because of that. Um and I think that's not necessarily only something that our tribe has, but right. but most people do. Like it's it's not just it's not specific to Judaism. It, it's within I think insular communities in general, and and hopefully there's just going to be more awareness. Yeah, I mean I think that's something we've learned in the last year or two is like this whole Me Too movement and yeah. everything. I mean it's like these are things that are common and. Yes. 
the whole what I find fascinating about the Me Too movement is this: it's literally defined as like the Me Too is is this whole idea of I I have also been suffering like you have, and none of us have been talking about it, and now we're talking about it. That's kind of the main switch that's happened exactly among some people, and I right. think um, I think that silence is so uh, fascinating. And painful, you know, and I think when we see, we see what happens when people just start talking. Yeah. It's actually, it's very ugly when people start talking after so much silence. Mm. Whereas if they just, if it's just originally safer to speak, you, you won't have to encounter all this ugly festering monsters within people. Right, right, right. Um, And I just hope that we can... I hope that the work that, you know, our generation does, um, even if it doesn't take um, for our kids, I hope it takes for our grandkids. Like, I hope, you know, I always say like, it's not, yes, it's about marketing. Yes, it's about getting your message out there. But it's also very much about that one person you can help. And maybe that one person you're going to help who was not born yet. And like, when you try to think about how you can actually affect someone one-to-one in that way. And it's less about speaking to the masses and the crowds and about making Mm. massive change, but more about like the trickle, drip, drip change that you could be making in people. Um, I think that you, you, you can exert more patience into your process of trying to influence and you can have more patience for yourself if you don't necessarily see change while you're, while you're doing the work. Yeah. And you can kind of like just trust the process that there is, it does echo and there is a ripple effect and, and any work that you can do from that perspective, from that altruistic place of really just trying to help the tribe, I think is, I think is a, an amazing thing to be part of. I love that. Wow. <laughs> Sorry if I add to that because that fast, it felt, it felt like the ending. Please but I was do. Just like, Let's Please just, add to it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think. That I find I find that to be really interesting because I think we're we're used we're used to thinking in those ways, especially people who are uh, think like think social media style. We're kind of designed to think how many shares I get, how many numbers I get, and all these things. But um, for me, I know that for me, the most impactful moments are when I get a personal email from one one person. It it's it changes my entire experience. Yeah, and it makes me realize, oh, there's probably like a lot of these people that haven't emailed me. Exactly. You know, and right. for every one person that yeah. emailed you, there's at least ten. Right. At least ten who didn't, yeah. and probably more. Right. No, I think that's that's really amazing, and I think uh, it's a remi- it's totally a reminder that like this is not when when we talk about mass numbers. The only reason those matter is because within those numbers are individuals. Yes, is a higher know. likelihood of catching an individual that does that does internalize the message. Right. Um, I think that um, there's this concept in social media of like wide versus deep. Right. Like how wide was did your message go? Right. And it's so important to focus on how deep it went instead because. Right. Like that's in the kishkas, in the intestines is where the real work gets done. <laughs> I want to put that up as a quote, like inspiring, you know, with like an inspiring image in the background. Like kishka. In the kishkas is where it happens. <laughs> Love it. Um, wow. Yes, that's so good. Because I think, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think that's also part of why I've tried to also embrace this uh, controversial role. Because I'm like, well... 
I'm, these people are really being impacted by that. Like it upsets a lot of people, but right. these other people are really being impacted by that. And I think that kind of sums up what you're doing in a lot of ways like yeah. this, like, I'm sure you being in that video with Abby Stein, who, by the way, if you're following, you've gotten 55 minutes in, you still don't know who she is. She was is a transgender woman who grew up, uh, grew up in a Hasidic community, yeah, and came out, and um, actually really inspiring person. So anyway, when you did that video, um, I'm sure there were so many people who were like quietly celebrating, and I'm sure who had. We're just amazed to have that experience. I really hope so. I really hope so. Because no human should experience isolation and 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 being excommunicated. Like no one deserves that unless they're like purposely hurting someone else or purposely inflicting pain or you know, suffering on someone else. And for someone to be going through their own pain and suffering to find their truth and then to compound upon that struggle also be rejected by their own people is such a stab in the back and really something that those of us who have, like I said, the support system and fortitude um, to, to, to pioneer for them and protect them, I think like really is like our duty. Yes. <laughs> so I feel like we're like repeating, but this is great. This is like so good. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I and I think oh, we're like, yeah, we have the opportunity to do that. And I think it's, I, I love this conversation because for me, it's so, it's so strengthening because sometimes you get, there's not many people that do this sort of work, I think. And I think, um, at least in the from community, and I think having another person kind of remind you of that right. is like so, at least for me, it's so helpful. Right. I'm You're a, not alone. <laughs> yeah, this is all about me at the end of the day. <laughs> like, this is about a lot. Pop chassid. Um Wow. Okay. All right, Pop. Thank you for having me here. (laughs) Anything you would like to share before we go? Any should we plug you, et cetera? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, Flappish Girl, on Facebook. Uh, Send me an email if you want, Adina at flappishgirl.com. And that's it. Even if it's just to reach out if you have a question or you want to get involved in inspiring others and, you know, pushing for positive change for our tribe, please hit me up and I'd be happy to help you match your talents and skills with something. Ooh. And also you run a marketing agency, right? I do, yes. We I run a marketing company called Flappish Media and we do commercials. We help mm. brands um, discover their voices for social media, for the millennial audience. And it's really exciting because I do all this work also with my husband, Chaim, mm. and we get the kids involved too. And, <laughs> and we pay our kids for their work. Really? Yeah, yeah. My son gets paid for any Insta store he's in. He sends me PayPal invoices. <laughs> So it's like, you know, oh, it's like, it's a family affair. Wow. That is amazing. All right. Well, it was such an honor to have you Thanks. on. Thanks. So Thank fun. you so much. Thank you for listening to Hivriya Cast. I'm Aladna Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hivriya.com or facebook.com slash mag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City, and the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing and hearing from you again.
ทาง